Welcome, Tales of Glory listeners. Welcome to big episode 60. We're diving back into Exodus today, preferably Exodus chapter 7. We're going to dive back into the spiritual warfare and the, how God taught us how to battle the occult in the Old Testament. Good stuff here today. We're actually diving back into the plagues, or as they're actually called in the Hebrew, strikes. The ten strikes against Egypt and the Pharaoh. Good stuff. I love this stuff. Interesting, uh, just to tie in current events, I keep talking about how the book of Exodus teaches how to deal with the occult. A lot of times the light bulb doesn't go on because we're so inundated with the, the, um, you know, the contemporary deliverance ministries where bind you, I come out, I command you out, I command out principalities and I bind you, blah, blah, blah. And we're not seeing this happening in Exodus. And why is that? Because God is dealing with these high-level spiritual beings. Elohims, right? The regional spirits over Egypt are these Elohims. And Pharaoh thinks he's the God incarnate of one of these guys. So I like to tie this in too because I'm currently working on a case with a young individual being oppressed. One of my um, friends from Night Strike at her church reached out to me and she knew what was going on and the complexity of this case. And it was beyond deliverance ministers. In fact, um, some big name deliverance ministries in this area watched this one up big time, and made matters worse. They sent home the person, oh yeah, the spirit of Leviathan on you, the spirit of Jezebel, blah, 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 blah. It was just bad. What was going on is we had a complicated case where the person had severe childhood trauma. For those of you who are um, listening into the podcast, Tales of Glory, what is this? Severe childhood trauma. Yeah, we're talking about dissociated identity disorder. On top of that, high-level witchcraft knows how to um, attack certain individuals who have this. And I don't want to go into too many details because it opens the cans of worms. People come to me, I'm going to this, I'm experiencing this, I'm experiencing this. And a lot of times they aren't. It's very difficult to discern. But anybody that can hear from God and has experience really discerning, like I'm like I beat up on before, like you have a snake around your waist, those people can't discern it. You're just making stuff up and trying to play the deliverance game. You have to be able to sit there and discern the spirits that are present or the spirits that are trying to attach to this person. We sat and did that, and then the person was having the hardest time to, because I said, when you're being attacked by the occult, it is you that has to fight the occult, and I have to train you how to do it, because special ways of doing this. So you have to come like your sensei. So I only work with people who are being attacked by the occult now, because I'm getting old, I'm getting worn out, and it just, um, there's no pain in this ministry, so I only have to choose the people who can sit right in front of me, the people who I discern who are actually going to make the fight and make it through it, because some people don't, some people can't. So I worked with this individual. I'm probably going to work for another um, couple of sessions or train her how to fight off the occult. And a lot of the stuff I pointed her to was the book of Exodus. Like, look out. Jesus was telling Moses to do certain things. You have to hear God when you fight the occult. Sometimes you have to do weird things. They'll ask you to raise your arm. What? What's this about? I'm not binding demons. not doing this or doing that. No, we taught you how to pray in warfare. We could bind low-level demons. But many times if People are coming into your mind or shooting voices in or shooting images of them, trying to attach to dissociated parts. You have to fight a different level because they're using higher dark spiritual beings to do this. A lot of times we can detect their familiar spirit because that's level. Anyhow, um, I told this person, I go, as you hear God, and I knew she could, she's been a Christian for a while, and all of a sudden this stuff just destroyed her life, and all of a sudden she became homeless and she's sleeping on the couch. Um, we're teaching her how to fight back. One of the things it says, God's going to tell you to do some weird stuff. Just do it. Sometimes God will tell you to do weird stuff just to see if you're listening. not going to put you in danger. 
but do what he says. And like we're seeing Moses, raise your hand, you know, until the battle's over. You know, what is that about? Because God is doing the fighting, and God wants to intercommunicate with us and have a two-way dialogue. And we'll see some of this stuff too as we start diving into the occult. Finally, in um, Exodus seven here, really good stuff. Uh, I am a fan of Exodus. Let me tell you that. You don't know already? I'm your host, Reverend Michael Norton. I am the missionary with the microphone. Especially now in the post-COVID, right? We're not going anywhere. We're trying to get to places they open up, and nothing's opened up yet, and neither the finances. So I'm going to stay as the missionary with the microphone some sometime until things open up. I am the CEO of M16 Ministries, a 501c3 for spiritual warfare. I ran the um, Night Strike Homeless Ministries from 2006 to 2016. If you're watching YouTube or you're watching um, Spotify, there's my credentials there. And I was the pastor for Remnant Church, was a ritual abuse survivor church, and a, a DID severe trauma survivor church. And COVID kind of shut that down too. We don't have the building anymore. I'm your author to a field guide to spiritual warfare, a field guide to advanced spiritual warfare, cosmology, and demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. Now, as we go through um, Genesis, excuse me, we go through Exodus, not where we've been through Genesis. Let's go through Exodus. You may want to pick up a copy of Cosmology and Demonology in Genesis 1 through 11 because that's covering a lot of stuff. It's a primer for what we're covering here. Going on. Get rid of the, the resume. <whistles> Introduction The book of Exodus is significant in teaching us how to deal with the occult and regional spirits. Nowhere in Exodus does God instruct Moses to bind principalities. So, yes, these spiritual battles in Exodus are against the occult powers of principalities, sons of God. The Elohims. And Elohim, right? Who inherited the region from Yahweh's divorce of nations back in Genesis 11. That's how these spirits got this territory. They got it back when God divorced the nations. God, you know, he divorced 70 nations, right? So God kept his portion, the Hebrews, and the rest went out to these regional spirits. And we know from Corinthians, we know from Ephesians, some were good regional spirits and some were very bad. Guess which ones Egypt got? They weren't good. They were requiring them to worship them, not God. And we know from the, the powers in Egypt and the magic they were using, that was the occult. In fact, if you watch paranormal shows today, uh, I know um, I'm going to go pick on Ghost Adventures. We'll see like um, a couple episodes back, I think it was last year. So I'm currently talking here in 2023. Back in 2022, I think they went to some place that was haunted. And the Satanists were already there with their runes. And some of the names that were on there were, I think it was Ra, the Egyptian god, Dagon, which was, uh, I believe, a Canaanite god. Guess where these are coming from, guys? They're coming from the Bible. The Satanists are summoning these regional spirits in through dark witchcraft and runes. So this isn't fairy tales we're looking at here, the way it was kind of taught in the pulpit. And I'm sitting there going, well, that's kind of a weird religion they have. This is kind of like what they believed in. They just rolled with it. No, these were they were actually worshiping these dark regional spirits, and they were providing them with occult powers. And these things are still present today, and they're still active today. Oh, speaking of um, our normal shows, I don't want to deflect your rabbit trail too far. I just watched one American Haunting, and it had a family that was being tormented by this demon in this house, but the psychics called it a, a, an angry, angry male spirit, but it was a demon. And... They're a Christian family who didn't know their faith very well, except for one young man who's probably in his late teens, early 20s. kept telling his family, this is not how we battle demons. It's not how we battle demons. We're supposed to, you know, use our faith and do it. They, you know, the family called in the psychics. 
And the first psychic that comes in goes, uh, he saw the swords on the wall. You know, the kid is definitely being called into spiritual warfare. He's definitely stepping into his calling. And the psychic goes, you need to stay, quit fighting. You know, you need to be more of a lover, not a fighter. That's what I feel for you. That's his familiar spirit telling him to, sh- to stand down. Oh, my God. And then we get um, the, the Halloween exorcist, uh, Bishop Long, show up. And he said the same thing. He goes, I see these swords on the wall. You should probably just be you know, shut down and be more peaceful. And like, dude, you're not seeing it. He's a spiritual warrior. You should probably take notes from him. But, I, you know, anybody in the, um, the, the, the spiritual warfare ministry as a Christian gives no credence to uh, Bishop Long and his, uh, you know, he's, he's in a life of sin too. So but I, I digress. Anyhow, we're seeing this stuff today and the church doesn't know how to fight it. Average church person. In fact, when they interviewed the pastor of this, this family's church, he was saying, this is like David picking up the rock against Goliath. Yeah, it is, but that's the wrong sort of information to be giving them. So this pastor didn't know it either. This pastor couldn't fight as we have a spiritual paper bag either. So it's just, I don't want to call it out like this, but it is what it is. And as Christians, we move forward. We need to understand which is how to move forward, how to fight these battles. And, you know, what's fake out there? There's a deliverance ministry is all... Las Vegas show right now, unfortunately. It's gotten really, really, really bad. And, you know, that's why we, I put this stuff on to teach you what the difference is. And I think people who pay attention to these podcasts, because I've, I've done close to over a thousand deliverances by now, close to it. Just, I've been through a lot of battles, a lot of battles that have been dark and dangerous that I don't even want to repeat. Some people won't even believe what happened in them, so I won't repeat them anyway. But I've seen this stuff. I said, I've seen levitation and I've seen teleportation, man. I've seen some weird stuff going on. And I've also done preservation for the highest witch doctor in Haiti to help set him free. I've seen the stuff, man. So it's not like I'm here going, oh, I'm calling this out and calling this out and I have a podcast. And no, in fact, I don't have a huge following. I don't care. I don't care. I only want the people who are led here by the Holy Spirit to find out how to fight come to this, this information. Some people turn off. I've seen the, the, the analytics too. Some people turn this off early too. So I don't care. System. This is for those who really need the help and really figure out, oh my gosh, that's what I'm that's what I'm asking for. That's what I'm looking for. How do I fight this stuff? So that's why I'm going through and teaching what's biblically first, and then we'll unpack this stuff. Let's go back to introduction. So nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to bind principalities or root demons. So throw that book away. I keep saying that. Rooting demons, toss it. Jesus never instructed us to do that. Exodus is a roadmap for how we are to fight the occult. It also demonstrates Jesus' preeminence over these powers of darkness, which were imaged as lesser than him. You know what imaging means? Go back and look at Genesis 1.26. We are imaged in the likeness of God. We're imaged as lesser than the divine spiritual being. So we're imaged lesser than angels. That's Hebrews 12.9. For he was made lesser than angels. So when God became, Jesus became incarnate, he was made lesser than the angels. That means what? He, was, he became man incarnate as God. We need to learn our borders and our boundaries right now until stuff is reestablished, and that's farther down the road in Revelation after Jesus returns. So the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus 7, Moses before the Pharaoh. Um, we'll be examining the plagues through the commentaries of Dr. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project podcast and Dr. Michael Heiser of the Naked Bible podcast, an author and speaker of the Unseen Realms. I want to inject some of their comments because they're very interesting and they're very informative about what we're dealing with in the occult and what is going on. And as we break down each plague or what they call strikes, we'll get into that in a moment. So for starters, plagues, 10 acts of decreation. We're looking at Tim Mackey here. Dr. Tim Mackey raises the interesting argument that the 10 plagues or 
and acts of decreation. Decreation motif is consistent with Genesis. We are given the account of Noah and the flood, right? We, we covered that somewhere back in one of the, the podcasts, that there was a decreation event with Noah and the flood, or it's probably covered in um, my cosmology and demonology book. I covered that thoroughly. We're given the account of the flood, which is Yahweh delivering judgment through an act of decreation, right? The waters turn back to black, you know, and the chaos of the waters cover the earth. You know, it's all decreation. The, the breath of life from rock, the Holy Spirit, is removed from them. And that's what gives us life. Remember, the people didn't drown. The Holy Spirit removed the breath of life from them. All these um, judgment was brought. Continue on. Pharaoh believes himself to be the god Horus incarnate. Pharaoh doesn't recognize nor even know Yahweh. He didn't know the Hebrew god. The Pharaoh believes himself to be the all-powerful god Horus. Yahweh confronts Pharaoh head-on with signs and wonders and demonstrates of Yahweh's true almighty power. These powerful demonstrations infuriate Pharaoh, yet he refuses to accept Yahweh as the one true God. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. Heard that, right? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to harden his heart. We learned that in the past probably six chapters we've gone through. But we have. Pharaoh believes himself to be the God Horus incarnate, Pharaoh doesn't recognize nor even know Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. And Yahweh is going to rescue his people from Pharaoh by force with signs and wonders. Signs and wonders are demonstrations and symbols of, I don't want to say symbols, demonstrations of God's power. That's what signs and wonders are, right? We're going to see them here. Moses goes before Pharaoh as instructed by Yahweh. Pharaoh responds that he does not know the name of Yahweh. The intensity of this battle centers around the recognition of the name Yahweh. Who's the God Yahweh? That's what this thing's centering around. Will Pharaoh submit the fact that God is the Almighty, or will Pharaoh insist he is the God Almighty? The Pharaoh's increasing stubbornness, hardened heart, is increasing the violence and impression of the people. It is countered by the increasing intensity of Yahweh's power displayed through the acts of decreation, which we're going to see here in the plagues. These are all acts of decreation. Interesting stuff. We'll, 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 we'll point them out here as we go along. It's probably spinning. What's that got to do with decreation? No, these, these plagues, these strikes were acts of decreation. It's interesting. Decreation is Tim Mackey's term for when Yahweh hands creation back over and allows it to splinter into chaos and disarray, undoing Genesis 1 created order. Tim Mackey comments that there are 10 plagues, or actually 10 strikes of decreation. Pharaoh is the god Horus incarnate who brings order to chaos. Yahweh strikes with chaos that Horus is incapable of restoring order. This is how his heart hardens. Horus is supposed to be able to bring order to chaos. And Yahweh comes and goes like, oh, try this one out. You can't restore it. So Yahweh demonstrates that he is the one true God and only he can bring order and deliver the oppressed. Pharaoh represents the height of human rebellion and Egyptian partnered with the spiritual rebellion of the Elohims, the source of Egyptian witchcraft, and Yahweh will bring judgment to them both. Who does he bring judgment to? The human rebellion of the Egyptians following the Elohims and to the rebelling spirits, the Elohims who allowed themselves to be worshipped and they know that they're not supposed to be worshipped, but God is supposed to be worshipped. Yahweh is supposed to be worshipped. 
the judgment will come to them both for this action. Yahweh is not rolling the dice and sending in plagues, or strikes in Hebrew, signs and wonders. Yahweh reaches out his hand and strikes. He is showing himself to be a warring god when he reaches out his hand. That is a symbol for Egyptians that when you reach out your hand, it's warfare. These are all specific decreation events on judgment on Pharaoh, Egypt, and the Elohims. Mackey identifies a plague, striped strikes, divided up into three groups of three, and the final tenth strike. We said there was like a, this um, three hierarchy. There's um, plagues one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then there's ten. The first. There's three groupings and then, then the tenth, tenth strike. And we'll go into it as we go through all the plagues. So it's kind of fascinating stuff here you brought up, but it, it makes sense. we got to bring the PhDs into this sometimes, but the PhDs that understand the supernatural of Exodus, and that's why I brought these guys in, him and Dr. Heiser, know that God's a supernatural God, and we don't try to weed it out going, oh, well, you know, this, this is some crazy religion they had there, you know. They were, the Egyptians were at airports handing out flowers to people, passengers walking by, you know, and that's not what this was. This, they were into some dark spiritual stuff here. That's what the Egyptian religion was built about. So the plagues, the 10 acts of decreation, there was 10 of them. Number one, Nile turned to blood. Number two, frogs come out of the Nile. Number three, gnats supernaturally swarm the land. Number four, flies supernaturally swarm the land. Number five, plague. There was an actual plague there, disease. Number six, boils. Number seven, hailstones fall and destroy all the crops. Number eight, locusts supernaturally swarm and devour whatever is left after the crops that were destroyed from number seven. Number nine, darkness over the land. Number 10, death of the firstborn, which was judgment on Pharaoh's drowning of the Hebrew boys in the Nile. It comes full circle. It starts with that, ends with that, and we'll see how that happens. Fascinating stuff here. It's cool stuff. It's cool, cool, cool. Exodus 7. Let's dive into scripture. Moses before the Pharaoh. Exodus 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. Let's pause here and let's unpack verses 3 and 4 we just read. Dr. Michael Heiser cited in his Naked Bible podcast, episode 267, on the book of Exodus, that God didn't go against Pharaoh's free will. We're talking about hardening of his heart. Pharaoh's heart was already hardened. He was obstinate and in rebellion with Yahweh. He already was, right? He was, he was the God incarnate. There was none higher than him. So if somebody comes up to him and challenges him, like, who do you think you are? And I've never even heard of you. You're a God I've never even heard of. How can you possibly challenge me? So Pharaoh thought of himself as the almighty Horus incarnate. And this, this Yahweh God shows up like, what do you think you're doing? I don't know you. Of course, he was very obstinate and very rebellious to it because it was challenging his authority and Pharaoh's first attitude was, who are you, right? He was about to find out. He was about to find out and get it handed to him. 
Pharaoh thought of himself as above Yahweh. We've seen this before. We've seen this in uh, Exodus 28 and Isaiah 14 about the Prince of Tyre. I will elevate myself above him. I'll rise above. So here we are here too, same thing. Furthermore, I never even heard of Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews. When Yahweh struck Egypt with ten supernatural strikes of chaos, Horus could not restore order. This inability to bring back order is what hardened Pharaoh's heart. He was getting angry. Because, you know, God was just walking up and smacking him in the face and walk off, and there was nothing he could do about it. And it put him on public display that even if he was the God of Horus, he was nothing compared to what was happening. He couldn't stop it. He couldn't even budge, do nothing. So, you know, his heart's hardening. He's getting, he's getting upset. He's getting mad. Let's jump back into Exodus 7, verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. There's that language again. I shall reach out my hand. He's a warring God. He's given a symbol to old Horus there and the, the air, airwaves there, the Prince of Air. And he's given a symbol to Pharaoh. When I reach out my hand, I am a God of war. I am bringing, I'm bringing war to you. Here it comes. That was a symbol that Pharaoh understood. Stretching out my hand. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, verse 9, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. Verse 10, so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers and the magicians of Egypt also, and they did the same by their secret arts. Here comes the occult. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their, ser their serpents, their staff, excuse me. Discussion notes. A lot of discussion goes around, why a serpent? What is going on here? And I believe Dr. Michael Heiser hit this one on the nose. I can't remember if it was in his Unseen Realm book or it was one of his podcasts. But the imagery of Moses and the serpents takes the reader back to the scriptures in Genesis 3. Second Temple Hebrews would have correlated this incident to the prophecy of Genesis 3.15, where the seed of the woman comes against the seed of the serpent. Remember that prophecy? When... Adam and Eve were being judged. And first of all, the, the curse that went to the serpent, your seed against her seed. Here's one of them. We know the final seed in this battle will be Jesus Christ. But along the way, there were multiple seeds that emerged, and Moses was one of them. And this, when the readers of Exodus read this, they go, oh, this, this is back to uh, Genesis 3.15. Moses is one of those seeds because he picked up the serpent, grabbed it. He had control over it. And that's one of the scenes we're having right here. That's why the, 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 staff, you know, the staff became a serpent. Also, too, the serpents were the sign of Pharaoh's power. You look at all the Pharaoh statues in Egypt. They have them on top of their, their little um, headdresses, or their crowns, or those little things they're wearing. A serpent sticking out. So the serpent was also the sign of power to Egypt. So from highest, darkest angel down, you know, see a human person, Aaron, grabbing the, the snake and picking it up and turning it into a staff and then dropping the staff down. 
and his serpent devours the witchcraft created serpents. You know, they're gone, they're done. That sent a signal to these powerful sorcerers that they weren't plugged into a power big enough to take on Moses and Aaron and the god Yahweh. Let's look back at verse 13. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far, you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn to blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt. There it is again, stretch out your hand. This is an act of warfare. Over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water. They may drink blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even the vessels of wood and vessels of stone. There was no potable drinking water for the Egyptians. He's going to nail them with it. Let's discuss this here so far. So the first strike is turning the water of the Nile into blood. So there's two key points here. First, Yahweh starts his decreation, right? This is a decreation act. To bring Egypt into chaos, Yahweh instructs Moses and Aaron to meet Pharaoh in the morning at the Nile. In the morning. So the readers of Exodus, who were Second Temple Hebrews or early Christians, this brought them back to the Genesis 1 story. See, we learned to read hermeneutics and all this other stuff and exegesis, which is all in fine. But we haven't learned to read these scriptures as the people who wrote them or the people who lived them wrote them. And that is to read this kind of like a novel. And let your mind be taken back to certain events. And this is it right here. So God instructed Moses and Aaron to meet Pharaoh in the morning at the Nile. Ding, because what, in the first morning, the Holy Spirit, right? He traveled over the, uh, the chaotic waters and, and breathed on them, right? The Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos of the waters of darkness. On the first morning of decreation, Yahweh returns the waters to chaos. He turns them to blood. That's his first act of decreation here. And this is something that I, I believe was a... Dr. Tim Mackey pointed out. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating. Now, it came to mind, too, as I was talking about this, that when you're dealing with witchcraft, they don't believe God or Jesus Christ is all-powerful. They don't. They just don't see it. They don't know it because they've seen some fascinating stuff, some, some dark signs and wonders that the enemy is capable of doing. He can, the enemy can do some crazy stuff, like we've seen here. He can turn staff into snakes, but we can drop the staff in the ground, with one snake that will devour all the snakes. Keep that in mind. That's the power that's going through Jesus. How did Aaron know to do this? Because Jesus told Moses what to do. Right now, I want you... That's how you fight these battles. That's how you fight dark occult battles. You're not taking on giants. I'm fighting giants. I'm fighting giants. That giant's going to crush you. This is how how David fought Goliath. It's the real way. You have to hear God. You have to listen to God. Moses was a prophet was. He was a prophet and he could hear from God, directly from the Holy Spirit, and he instructed Aaron wisely what to do. This is how the occults fought. 
when you're fighting witchcraft, their heart's going to be hardened because, oh, it's a Christian. Oh, how cute is that? That's so cute. That's adorable. Oh my God, what'd you just do? You know, and it wasn't like, because I got my little candles and fought back incantations, or I got my little um, rooting demons books out and performed rituals. Ooh. What'd you just say, Mike? Yeah. Because I listened to Jesus. Um, My first battle of warfare was against voodoo in France, and I was in California. We did a deliverance, and the witch that was a Nigerian witch who was there, it was funny, it was against two competitive um, beauty salons, and one was run by a, a voodoo witch, and the other salon was a very successful one, and it was running as a Christian woman. The Christian, and she was being around business, but the voodoo put, lady put the, the mojo on her. And when it was amazing, when we were done with the prayer and stuff, the intercession, the, the Nigerian woman ran out of town. She left. She packed up and left. I never met her face to face. I never encountered stuff with her, but we just did stuff through Jesus. We never attacked her. Um, it was just the, the signs and wonders as we built up this other lady that freaked out the witch, and she packed up and left. And she was making snakes manifest in this, this woman's house. Um, apparitions manifest, demons manifest, and you know we did it remotely with translators. You know I have broken French, so <laughs> I sound like some hick somewhere. You know in the Appalachians trying to do French. So it was, you know, what's that guy from uh, the the Water Boy, the Louisiana guy? That's what I probably sound like speaking French. So we had a translator, another Christian team out there, and they did it, and. In, Amazing. So I'm saying it's just rely on what Jesus is telling you. And there's going to be some crazy stuff he tells you, but just do what he tells you to do. And make sure you can hear from God to understand this. Hard, because you can try to find people that think they can hear from God and they can't. Anyway, so that's the two things I want to point out here. So we have a decreation event has started here in Exodus 7, where the water and all the waters turn to blood, not just the Nile. And Horus can't bring order to it and he should be able to he should be bringing order to everything in the land can't the second Yahweh judges Pharaoh for drowning of the male Hebrew babies God's firstborn that's why he chose to turn the Nile to blood and the water to blood remember this Nile turned to blood the blood of the innocent crying out to Yahweh where have we seen this before we've seen it back in Genesis another theme right the blood of the innocent crying out to Yahweh so he had to do something here it is again. So God's demonstrating the blood of the innocent. The, the Hebrew babies were, were drowned by Pharaoh because he thought they were, they were becoming too, too overpopulated or too big of a, a population or a race to deal with. So God goes, you know what? This is a symbol of the blood of the innocent crying out to me. So I'm going to turn your water to blood and you're going to have to drink it. Sounds sick, but you know, Yahweh isn't messing around. He gets angry when you mess with his people. He gets angry. So if you've been attacked by witchcraft, look at this. Yahweh's angry. Tap into him, go to him, worship him, whatever you need to do. Be still, know that I'm God. And let God fight the fight for you. Let Jesus fight the fight. Good stuff, man. I love this stuff. This is how you fight the occult. Listen, I'm going to go through this piece by piece. Raise your arm. Raise your arm and fight. Jesus, I'm raising my arm. I don't know what to do. I'm raising my arm in battle to make this thing go away. Do it prophetically. Exodus 7, verse 20. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. 
and the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt. Everybody got it. It was all over. It wasn't just the Nile. Wherever there's water and it was Egyptian, they got, they got the stank. Bad blood water. That's nasty. Ugh. Don't mess with Jesus. Verse 22. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. That's interesting. The sorcerers could duplicate it, and that satisfied Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's sorcerers couldn't undo it, nor could Pharaoh. Right? He goes, well, I could do this too. Well, if your sorcerer is so powerful, why don't they undo it? There's no, there's no thing here about this, right? If you look in um, 2 Timothy 3.4, it mentions the, the sorcerers, jammies and jambries, as you know, the folly of jammies, jammies and jambries and their occult powers are going to be a sign of the occult rising for Christ. And we're seeing the occult rising now. We're seeing this level of power being demonstrated. So don't freak out because God has control over it. But like I said, in the work that woman who the occult was attacking her um, association through witchcraft, speaking to her and showing up in her mind, showing up in dreams, don't freak out by this because, yeah, they're capable of doing it, but look at what Jesus is capable of doing himself. Go to Jesus, go, you know, start the fight through him. It's just, it's just a different battle. So verse 23, Pharaoh turned and went to his house, and he did not take even this to heart. So he considered nothing. My, my, my sorcerers could do this too. Yep, your sorcerers and you couldn't fix the water. Verse 24, and all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink. They could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Interesting about that. Seven full days have passed. Seven days to create the earth. This is a decreation event. Right, so that's cool stuff. There it is. Now it brings us to the end of Exodus 7. we got, what, nine more plagues to go. But does that resonate what's going on with the occult? Some things stood out here. Jesus told Moses to tell his brother to raise his arm, raise the staff, sign of warfare, doing symbols, and let Jesus do the battles. So we don't see anything like, you know, we're, we're binding the sorcerers, we're binding the, binding the Elohims in heaven, we're buying all this stuff. And, you know, they weren't doing that. God was taking on the whole thing. It's just you fall back. And here's the hardest part I have to teach people who are under spiritual attack, especially through witchcraft, is to trust Jesus. Faith is easy. Trust comes hard. But Jesus, they just, you know, wiped out my bank account. Okay, will Jesus fix the bank account? Will Jesus restore it for you? Jesus bring justice. Just, you know, do what you got to do. Don't sit there and take it, but... You have to be in a place during this sort of level of warfare that you're mature and you're a different level of hearing God and understand what's going on and feel his peace and getting tactical information from him. That's why hearing God is so important. It's not taught in churches right now. Always have a narcissist at the pulpit. I'm sorry about saying that, but a lot of churches do. I only know a few that don't. I'm, I'm in contact with some pastors. They're awesome. They're excellent. And I love them to death because that's what their heart is for the people and equipping people. But some pastors aren't. Some of these guys have larger audiences and larger um, things. They, they go off the deep end and this becomes family run. You know, I'm going to retire now. My son's going to take over. You know, when did this become a corporation or 
you know, our matriarchy or patriarchy. It didn't. This isn't the way churches were designed. This, you know, I could harp on this for a while, but this things have to shift up for the end times church. Become more of a corporation. It has become a, a kingdom body of Christ. Ah, in closing, announcements. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Hit the hit the YouTube subscribe. You know, love to hear you there. Ask questions. You can ask questions on YouTube. A lot of people do. You can hit the likes on Spotify or wherever you're listening to. You can reach out and contact me at a field guide to spiritual warfare blogspot.com where I host each every one of these podcasts, and you can leave comments there, or you can reach out to me to a field guide to spiritual warfare Facebook page. Leave questions there as well. I'd love to hear from you guys. I love, you know, don't doesn't matter what's going on. Just go ahead and ask me questions, and I'll provide feedback to the podcast, or just let you know on stuff I'm going on right now, like the battle of witchcraft's going on right now. Um, anyhow, we also have a financial blessing. Currently in transition right now because uh, the economy destroyed my counseling work I was doing. So I don't have a counseling office anymore, and I'm not clients. I'm doing a few through Zoom. A lot of people have been devastated to not be able to afford counseling as well. So I'm in transition here. A lot of you know, I went out and got my certification in quantum computing. I'm still pursuing that because like Paul does, you need to have a side job, right? And I need to have a, something that pays. So I do have a background in computational physics and mathematics. So I was thinking about jumping in there and see if that's something might excite me and get me further down the road as a taxi job. But, you know, like I said, if it's we still need money here to keep things, keep the power and lights on here at the M16 Ministries and time to do research. So if you'd like to donate, you reach us at PayPal and you can send it to m16ministries at gmail.com account on PayPal. You can support us through books. We don't make money off books. Books are just out there to equip you. And I do charge money because it costs money to, time money to, to put them together. But you can find a field guide to spiritual warfare, the advanced field guide, and a cosmology and demonology in Genesis 1 through 11. You can find them on my um, a field guide to spiritual warfare at blogspot.com, or you can find them at www.afg2sw.com. This is my hosting website. Good stuff there, guys. Good stuff. Oh, and also on other podcasts, if you haven't jumped in yet, podcasts 57, 58, and 59, I started doing homeless ministry and outreach training. And there's a book available. I'm trying to like a book 99 for it, but you can go find that. I have a picture of it on YouTube here and Spotify and Rumble. It's the M16 Night Strike Outreach Boot Camp. Just go look for us on um, previous podcasts are there. And I'm going through training on hearing God, on um, outreach etiquette, on uh, stuff like keeping an open heaven, and there'll be a bunch of stuff like there. It's 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 good stuff. It's 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 designed to, to bootstrap you and get you guys jumping into. You want to start a homeless ministry or doing uh doing outreach, a prophetic outreach. It's on prophetic evangelism. Good stuff there. Um, so pay attention to that. If there's something you're interested in, please go dial in and take a look at it. Ah, Mike's spiritual warfare tips for the week. I'm gonna start something new here, just funny stuff I find. So, first of all, like I said, if you're dealing with the occult or anything, if you're doing anything spiritual warfare, I don't care what books you buy, be be first attentive to Hearing God. Be sure to work on your hearing God and practicing his presence. You know what I'm talking about? Go you know, get, go get Mike Verkler's book, Four Keys to Hearing God, and make sure you understand how to hear God and you're practicing it and it's getting going because that's critical. If you're going to deliverance ministry, a spiritual warfare, you must listen to God. You walk into a haunting, 
got to be able to hear God over the demonic chatter. The deal with stuff. You have to hear from God. And it's just something you and he develop together, and he works with you, and you start hearing him more and more. So, like spiritual warfare tip of the week number two, never seek deliverance from a minister with a title apostle in front of their name. <laughs> never. It's, it tells you right there, not a servant of God. It's, it's, that's, the, that's the headliner for a uh, <laughs> Las Vegas show. I'm the apostle. The apostle Mike Norton deliverance comes to me. You know, I'm an apostle and I hear from God. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> it's a show title. We are servants. We are nobodies. It's just, just like John. We're a piece. We're, we're in the we're a component in the body of Christ. There's no arms, legs, feet, or immune systems, or, you know, cells or respiratory systems in the body of Christ that have apostle titles to them, except for the 12. That's it. Um, I think it's funny. It's just like, Every deliverance ministry, and especially ritual abuse survivor industry uh, ministry ever encountered that had apostles running them, were a complete sham and disaster. It just it just was. So beware! I warned you. And if you hear it here first, you won't get suckered into it. Waste lots of money. These guys charge like thousands of dollars. I have people come to me that like this one person I worked with recently. I went to this one apostle, and they charged me nine hundred dollars, and they didn't do anything for me because they didn't figure out they were dissociated identity disorder. Right? And I'm oh my god, you paid nine hundred dollars? You know. <laughs> It's crazy. But anyhow, it is what it is, guys. I love you guys. So you're amazing. Um, like I said, thank you. Now go out and be a blessing and make good choices. Till next time from the M16 Bunker. Amen. <laughs>